Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. If you're one of my regular listeners, it's great to have you back. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm so glad that you found us. Today, we're going to talk about, really, I think that we have tremendous power to make our lives better. And my guest is somebody who has really transformed her own life. She is Emily Scholz. She is a transformational coach. But at one time in her life, she was an attorney. She was suicidal and on 25 pills a day. And I can't wait to hear her story and how she has come through that and now how she is working with other women, particularly women with invisible illness, to thrive and change their lives. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for having me, Clarissa. I am excited. I mean, I would love, first of all, for you to share with my listeners just a little bit about your own story. Yes. Well, you gave the cliff notes. <laughs> so I started off as an attorney in Chicago. And this was right around 2001 is when I graduated from law school. But about th three years before when I was a senior in college, and I was starting to get accepted to law schools, I had my first health crisis, I had my gallbladder removed, which I was 22. You know, I had I laughed at the doctor when they said I needed to have the surgery, because I just thought, of course not, I'm too young. And I did. And I, my symptoms did not get better. So they did more and more tests. And they ultimately diagnosed me with ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel disease, put me on some drugs, I went off to law school. So obviously, law school is, you know, not the least stressful time in one's life. <laughs> so but I pushed through, I did it. And then a week after I graduated from law school, I flipped my hair out of my head, my face, I felt something in my neck snap. And over the next six months, the pain spread and diffused all through my body. And I was ultimately diagnosed with something called fibromyalgia, which is chronic pain. And that's literally how I started my career. And so I was on a whole bunch of meds. And every six months or so, a new symptom would pop up, they'd put me on a new medicine, you know, and then I'd have side effects for that. So they'd put me on more. And so that's how you get to 25 pills a day by the time you're 30. And it really was a rough time for me. I had been so just focused on what I wanted to accomplish in the world. And I was a perfectionist type A, straight A student, you know. And so for me to be not able to perform in the way that I wanted to was very, very hard because I really identified with my achievements. I identified with being a lawyer and like all of these things. And now suddenly my entire identity was kind of thrown, you know, into question in my own mind because I couldn't do. And I ultimately was fired from my first position. So I mean, that was just like, oh my God, what? because I couldn't work the 80 hours a week that they wanted me to. When I went back and said, hey, my doctors say I need to be on 
part-time, they said, okay, that's 40 hours a week. And I was like, you're not, not really getting it, but that's the life of a new attorney in downtown Chicago. So it was, it was a really hard time for me. I was also married at the time. My now ex-husband, all he wanted was to be a father. That was his biggest dream. And I was a mess. I mean, I couldn't hold our little dog for a couple of minutes without being in blinding pain. So I was definitely not mother material. And so we ended up divorcing. And that was the low point in my life. That was when I was really just absolutely questioning whether or not I still wanted to be here. And, you know, that, of course, is if you're open for it, that's the that's the time that you can transform when you're kind of on your knees. That's the best time to look around and say, okay, let me, what can I surrender? What can I give up? Yeah. And, and Emily, what was that turning point, that divorce and that ending of the marriage, is that for you the biggest tipping point? It was. You know, I was working part time as a legal aid attorney at that point, you know, making no money and living by myself and trying to pay rent in downtown Chicago. And it was just brutal. I mean, honestly, that little dog saved my life because I, the only reason I did not you know, ultimately go down that road was because I did not want to be, I didn't want to like traumatize my dog. (laughs) So at that point, what I did was I started looking for a support group. So I looked for online for a fibromyalgia support group and there wasn't one. And so I decided to create one myself because I thought, well, how hard can it be? It's like you say when and where and you go support one another. (laughs) This was in the days of meetup.com, you know, and so I, I did that. And at the first meeting, a woman came in and I had had, I brought a big tray of donuts because I wanted to be a good hostess. And she said, well, that's why you have fibromyalgia. And I thought, what? And she said, let me bring a guest speaker the next week, the next time we meet. And so she did. And this woman was a raw foodist and talked about the correlation between diet and well-being. And I, you know, my doctors have been saying, yeah, your diet has nothing to do with your ulcerative colitis. Like now it makes no sense. But back then I just did what the doctors told me to do. You know, I figured they know best. And also I didn't want to give up all of my favorite foods because that was kind of like the only source of joy I had left in my life was like my ice cream and pizza. And so when I heard that woman speak and heard her story of transformation, that's when I took a leap of faith. And I went 100% raw vegan overnight, which I'm not now. I'm no longer vegan nor raw, but I'm, I call myself today a qualitarian. So I eat organic, I eat grass fed, I eat you know, like mostly plant based, but I, I just try and get the best quality of food. But within one week, I had this lifting of my symptoms, not completely, but enough that it was like, oh, okay, there's something here. I need to go down this path. And so that was really the beginning of my own transformation. And what I tell people is it it doesn't matter if if you come to transformation through diet, through yoga, through meditation, through whatever, like it, we all, it's spokes of the same wheel. We're all heading to the same destination, which is connection with ourself, connection with our higher power, whatever you want to call that, discovering the, the truth with a capital T, as I like to say it. But for me, my gateway in was food. Yeah. And that's such a big change. But, you know, having met people with fibromyalgia myself and having, you know, and, and trained with some of those people when I was a mindfulness practitioner, those were key steps for them too. finding something whatever it was, 
and they were able to make the shift. And food was often a big part of that, as you say. Diet is so central to our experiences. Yeah, and it's not... I mean, my story was... 100% overnight. And now I would never tell someone to do that. I mean, I'm that's just my personality. I was always very much like, you know, go big or go home, like all or nothing. I'm Scorpio. I don't know. That's just like how we roll. But you know, what I tell people is because most people, women, especially my clients, those with invisible illness, they're exhausted. They're at the point where like they can't even think of doing one more thing than they're already doing. So for me to say, "Hmm, completely overhaul your diet, like that's not going to work. But if you can do one thing, if you can cut out gluten, maybe for a couple of weeks, if you can go a couple of weeks without sugar or dairy or you know anything that's like highly inflammatory, then at the end of that time period, you're going to have a little bit more energy. You're going to have, you're going to feel just a little bit more mental clarity. The brain fog's going to go down a little. Like you're going to have enough excitement by the results that you have that now you're ready to take the next step. And then the next step and then the next step. So I love the word shift. That's the the name of my online course. Like I because small shifts over time add up to big changes. And so I always try and get people to look at this as a lifestyle. This is not a diet. This is you transforming into a person who eats healthy foods <laughs> and likes it. And, you know, I mean, and especially, you know, there's a reason why a lot of people who eat a highly processed diet don't want to eat natural foods. It's because their taste buds have been kind of messed up through the highly processed foods. So there are things called excitotoxins that literally screw up your taste buds. And so I never liked fruits and vegetables because they tasted horrible to me. But once I cleaned out my system, now processed food tastes horrible to me. And so it's a trust. It's that leap of faith. And again, if diet's not your thing, meditation, yoga, like anything, therapy, coaching, groups, you know, whatever you feel is the path of least resistance for you, take that step and then see what happens. Yeah. And when you talk about invisible illnesses. I mean, there are a lot, but maybe for my listeners who are less familiar, I mean, just some of those that might be counted in that space. Yes. I always, how I define invisible illness is any chronic physical or mental condition where you've heard the phrase, oh, but you look good. Oh, you look normal. Like if you've ever heard that phrase, then you most likely have an invisible illness. So for me, there were times when I, I honest to God wished that I had like brain tumor because then I would know what's going on. At least then I would understand why. Or that, you know, it would be something where they would say, well, if we just cut off your leg, then you'll be fine. You know, like I honestly didn't care. I just wanted to have an answer and to have people around me see that I was maybe different and needed some extra care or compassion or something like that. But unfortunately, I mean, that's not how invisible illness works. It's, you know, you look normal. And so people just expect you to be able to do all of the things and you can't do all of the things. And then you're judging yourself for not being able to do all the things. And it becomes this, you know, cycle that's never ending. And the first thing I always teach my new clients is that you weren't designed to do all of the things (laughs) like none of us were. You know, the 40 hour work week was created back in the Industrial Revolution when people were on assembly lines and you needed 40 hours a week in order to make as many widgets as they needed to be made. 
Nowadays, we're sitting on computers doing mostly mentally based work, a lot of us, and eight hours a day of that isn't possible. I mean, it's possible, but it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's not natural. It's not healthy. And then also, the 40-hour work week was also based on the assumption that you as a male worker working 40 hours a week had a wife at home who was taking care of the cooking, the cleaning, the shopping, the raising of the children. And so now we just expect people to do all of it by themselves. You know, the village is gone. We're we're all in these like little individual houses. And then we wonder why we can't keep up and we're burned out. And it's because we're not supposed to do all of those things, but we've been conditioned by society and by our, you know, how everyone else is doing that. That's the hamster wheel. We have to stay on. And my advice, my coaching is usually like, Take as much off your plate as you absolutely possibly can because it's like the, you know, the on the airplane. If you're if you don't have the oxygen mask on, you can't help anyone else. And so we really need to start really focusing on ourselves and taking care of ourselves. And then we can help where we can. Yeah. And even more so if you have an invisible illness because they are. One, you're not getting the outside acknowledgement. But in addition, I mean, it's exhausting to have any of these conditions. And I think, you know, into that category comes IBS and Crohn's and migraines. And of course, nobody sees you on the day when you have PCOS, endometriosis. I mean, you can just, the vast majority of people with invisible illness are women, especially the physical invisible illnesses, chronic pain. That is, I mean, there are estimates of like 90% of those cases are women. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Well, yes, there are biological reasons, hormonal reasons, things like that. But then also going back to this societal soup that we live in, that, you know, a lot of my teaching is based on hermetic principles. And one of the hermetic laws is the law of masculine and feminine. And you know, we all have masculine and feminine within us. It's all throughout nature. It's not like a male female thing. But our society is so heavily skewed to the masculine. It's in the toxic masculine phase <laughs> at this point. And you can just look around and see how we've devastated our planet and, you know, all of these things to see that we're really heavily skewed masculine. And so, of course, women who are trying to keep up in that society are going to have a harder time because the feminine masculine is all about action, taking action and going forward and, you know, logic and reason and, and all of this. And there's absolutely a time and place for that. The feminine, on the other hand, is receptive. It's all about going within. It's all about receiving. It's all about patience and, you know, intuition and all of these things that are not valued in our society. And so, you know, it's kind of like the, you and I were raised during the, what I call the pantsuit feminism, like version where, oh, when we were little, our, we were being taught feminism, but we are being taught it in a way that it was, we can do whatever a man can do, and we can do it better. And so it forced us to be very masculine going into those systems, you know, corporate America, legal, like all of these things, you know, wearing our pantsuits and trying basically to be men in order to beat them at their own game or get our equality. Whereas, you know, now what I love about the younger generations are like this inclusivity and this embracing of diversity of how we do things in different ways. And that's 
that's good. That's okay. That's wonderful. And so to really, for any listener out there who's, who is struggling to give yourself a break, you know, and to really know that, yes, you have personal, physical, or mental things that are going on, but you're also, there's a macro level to this as well. Yes, that we have been almost, it's seeped into us and we have no ability naturally because that's how we've been, as you said, we've been brought up to be like this and it makes us against our kind of nature and we become very irritated, very sharp, very intolerant. We lose, I think, sisterhood. Exactly. It's such a, it's so important. I used to coach people one-on-one and I still do. But in the middle of last year, I created a group coaching program because that sisterhood is, is its own special sauce. It's its own healing power, especially if you have chronic illness. If you, even those of us with the most loving and supportive families, spouses, coworkers, friends, whatever, if they themselves do not have chronic illness, it is very hard for them, if not impossible, for them to truly understand what, what we're going through. So to have a group of women that you, that you meet with regularly who just get it and you don't really have to explain it is so important. I trained as a shamanic priestess. That's part of my background. And I realized that is a nutrient. Like it's like vitamin S sisterhood. Like that is a nutrient that I need. And the longer, especially during the quarantine and the pandemic, it was like, what am I missing? What am I missing? And like, that was what I was missing. Yeah. We miss that connection with each other. That is so important. But one of the questions I have to ask you is, well, how does menopause and invisible illness coincide? Yes. It's such an intriguing... I mean, I was so excited to have this conversation with you because I feel like menopause has always been looked at as kind of the original invisible illness, <laughs> even though it is like a completely natural process. But but we've pathologized, I mean, we've made it pathological. We've, we've made it into a disease. And there are very real symptoms to it. I myself, just in the last year, entered perimenopause and was like, oh, okay, this is what, what y'all were talking about. Like, I get it now. <laughs> and so to have an invisible illness and then go into menopause, I find there are a couple of options. Either some of your symptoms actually get better from your invisible illness or the reverse happens. And that's based on a lot of factors. It's based on your mindset. It's based on your on what how well you're taking care of yourself. It's based on your invisible illness. It's based on just your biology. And so it's, you know, I get questions of like, is this menopause or is this my invisible illness? And it's so fascinating, but it's also this wonderful opportunity for us to really take stock and see how am I eating? How am I sleeping? How am I working? You know, how am I exercising? All of these things that can hit both where they're intersecting, but also can help both individually if you're dealing with one or the other. Yeah. So there really is an interrelationship. As you said, they, you know, your illness can look like your menopause and your menopause can sometimes look like your illness. Absolutely. Especially if you're dealing with, if your invisible illness is kind of hormonally based, 
like the PCOS, the endometriosis, things like that, then just the natural change in your hormones due to menopause is going to have an effect on your invisible illness. But like I said, it could be positive. It honestly, you know, like, especially with, you know, if you are inspired to bioidentical hormones, hormone therapy, just working out more, doing more weight-based exercise, which is so important. So to prevent like osteoporosis and things like that, if you are getting more vitamin D, like all of these like specific things that we found are helpful for menopause are also helpful for pretty much every other invisible illness you've got, you could have. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So sometimes it's not bad. Sometimes it's actually a turning point. It's an opportunity. Because I feel like when you are, when I was studying a, as a priestess, I, you know, we learned about kind of the different phases of, of womanhood. And, you know, you've got the child and the maiden and the mother and the crone. And, you know, everyone in our society is usually like, oh, God, not the crone. You know, you just have this like picture of this like old rickety woman. Well, in pretty much every other culture, crones are revered. They're the ones who have all the wisdom. They're the ones who have been around long enough and they know how things work. They're the teachers. They're the leaders. And so I've really learned to embrace my, my crondom. And I think that plays a role because if you have been healthy all your life and now suddenly you're entering into menopause and you're having these symptoms and things like that. I think for the most part, I mean, hopefully by this age, you've kind of gotten over the whole like wanting to please everyone. You just, it's just, you've given up. Like it's like, it's too, like whatever, like you can't please everyone. So like, I'm just going to please myself. I think that comes with wisdom with age. And so you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of myself because I don't care what you think. I don't care if you like, I'm going to let my hair go all white and not use toxic hair color anymore. And like all these things, like who cares? That's a lesson that if you have invisible illness from a younger age, you can really apply without having to wait till you get to menopausal. You can really start saying like, no, my health mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, number one priority in my life. And that's it. And that's how we're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask was, I mean, in terms of feeling better in body, mind, and heart, what are some of the key things that have worked for yourself personally and seem to work really well for your client? Yes. Great question. This is why I started coaching was because for the past 15 years now, this is like all I've been doing is, <laughs> is studying and trying. I'm, I'm very much a, I need to try it to see if it works for me. But so at this point, I feel like I'm a pretty good curator as to like what works, what doesn't. But I also completely am of the belief that what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. It all comes down to what our beliefs are, our own personal biological makeup, our own genetic makeup, things like that. But for me, I think that there are a couple that are absolutely foundational that are going to help everyone. Number one for me is learning who I really am. The, that truth with a capital T, that I am an extension of the divine, whether you call it God, source, whatever, Ed, I don't care what you call it. Like <laughs> I am an extension of the divine and I am meant to come to this world to have a joyful existence, that I live in a friendly world and good things come to me. That is 
shift in mindset because that's not how most people look at things. Most people look at the world as a dangerous, bad place where bad things are going to happen. We're all going to hell in a handbasket, like all of those things. That dichotomy literally decides whether or not you have you can live a healthy, happy life. And so for me, that was the number one thing. The teachers in my life who taught me that the number one was Abraham Hicks. They're kind of like the original law of attraction teachers before it kind of got watered down by like the secret and stuff like that. So those that transformation mentally was the foundation that all of the other changes that I made started from. And I always say this as a as a example was that in eighth grade, I, you know, we had a yearbook at the end with a poll, you know, most handsome or like most likely to succeed or all those things. I was voted most pessimistic. Yeah. In eighth grade. And so I was not born a happy, shiny, (laughs) optimistic person. Okay. Like I just want everyone to know that. Or I was, I think we all are as kids, but by age 13, I had already become very kind of focused on the negative. And so I was able to retrain myself and really reprogram my own thoughts. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. The second thing that I would say is that as a foundational absolute key is meditation. Not only does it help me connect spiritually and calm me emotionally, it has absolute proven scientifically based physical (laughs) benefits for everyone. Like you can't, it it is peer reviewed. There is, this is not woo woo, hocus pocus. It is, there's a reason it has been around since the beginning of time. It works. My favorite teacher for that is a man named Dr. Joe Dispenza. He has taken it to, I think, a whole new level in terms of literally curing things and having spontaneous remissions. You can go to his website and hear of just the amazing things, miracles that people are doing through meditation. But I, you know, sitting 10 minutes in a quiet room first thing in the morning literally will work wonders. It's not sexy. It's not overnight. It's a gradual thing, but it works. And it will help everything else that you do work better. That's the thing. A lot of times with invisible illness, you try all the things. You've heard this supplement works. You've heard this, you know, practice works. You've heard this therapy works. And then you go and you try it and it's like nothing. Yeah. And they're outside yourself. I think that's the thing. They're from the outside, whereas meditation is inside yourself. Exactly. And it also, most of the time, and this is based on the work of Joe Dispenza, our nervous systems are in a very dysregulated state, meaning we are we have tipped over into constant fight or flight, which fight or flight is a biological necessity. It was, you know, it's great. Like we don't want to get rid of fight or flight, but we used to, you think about a dog, they get in a fight and then they walk around the corner and they shake it all out and then they're fine. And then they move on with their day. That's what fight or flight supposed to be. It's supposed to be a tiger's chasing me. So I'm going to run like hell. And, you know, of course, like, you know, all the things are going to happen physiologically, but then I'm going to shake it off and go back to rest and digest. In our culture, unfortunately, most of us are in a constant state of fight or flight, which burns out our adrenals, like everything in our bodies. So meditation starts calming your entire system down. And now suddenly 
your body is in a more receptive space. So I remember a perfect example is I remember years ago when celery juice was like all the craze, right? You know, the medical medium came out. He was like, this is great. This is like the panacea. It helps everything, blah, blah, blah. I tried it. Nothing. It didn't do anything for me. And I tried it for like months. So it was not, you know, it wasn't just like I tried it for a day and it didn't work. Nothing. Recently, in the last month or so, I started it again. And now I've been doing meditating for years, daily basis. I've been doing Dr. Joe's like intense meditations daily for like six months. Now suddenly, all of my allergies that have been with me my entire life are almost gone. I'm dog sitting right now because I'm obsessed with dogs and I've been allergic to them my entire life. So I did not want to have a dog at home. You know, I didn't want to live with a 24 hour allergen, but I needed my fix, you know? So I would, I would come and I would dog sit and I just would, you know, kind of take the hit and not, and like be all stuffed up and sneezy and itchy for however long I was staying because I wanted to be with dogs. Well, now here I'm dog sitting for two of my favorite dogs who shed like nobody's business, <laughs> you know, like they're not doodles, they're not hypoallergenic and like I can breathe. So because I've worked on calming down my nervous system, now the things that I'm actually doing are more effective. And so that's like a really exciting thing because I think a lot of people with invisible illness, we get into this mental loop of it's never going to get better because it's it has not been getting better for years, maybe decades. And so it's impossible for it to get better. And what I'm telling you is it's not impossible. It absolutely can get better. That's a possibility if you believe in it. So knowing who you are, meditation, and then, and then the physical things of diet, sleep, exercise, those foundational practices. And then of course, I mean, there's always codependency, looking at that, you know, stop trying to take every, you know, taking care of everyone, like all of those things. But, you know, those are kind of the three big ones that I always insist on (laughs) if someone's really serious about, about feeling better. And when you think about them, they're incredibly logical, Emily. I mean, you've got a strong base body foundation through diet, sleep and exercise, just a solid foundation. But meditation so powerful. I mean, I, you know, I trained with Vijmala Birch. She is a paraplegic. Her, and I would not say to anybody to do this, but she has the lowest level of pain medication that is possible for her to be subscribed. She's a president of the British Pain Society. She's highly regarded. So, you know, she's not, she's not, we were, she's not doing her own stuff with her meds. She's working with her doctors. She it is so low that they can hardly believe it. She meditates every day. And it was meditation that turned her life around when she was ready to take her own life because her pain was so intense. Yes. It's incredible. What I will always tell people, because of course, when, when women come to me and, and want to work with me, I of course cannot say like, Hey, if you work with me, you're going to get cured. Like, you know, I can't guarantee anything. Like, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not. And if I could cure invisible illness, I would be a billionaire right now. So like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I'm going to cure your invisible illness. However, I'm going to say, what if you felt 50% better? Would that be worth it to you to put in the effort? More importantly, what if you were happy? 
What if you were in pain and you were actually happy? That's the thing that I think is a huge misunderstanding is that if I'm in pain, I have to be unhappy, that those things are completely correlated and they're not. You can be in pain and joyful. And if you are, isn't that worth it? Like, isn't that enough for right now? Because I guarantee you, if you get joyful and you stay there for a while, you will start feeling better physically. But most people are, their mindset is, well, I'll be happy when I feel better. And it's the reverse. You got to feel better to feel better. That is a great, to be, feel better to feel better. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very true. And I think that plays back into that connection to source and to the whole. And so would you say to, for you that that is the most effective thing for yourself and for your clients, that connection to source? Absolutely. If you, you can eat, I have known people who have eaten the most pristine diet on the planet, and they are wildly unhappy and sick. And I know people who eat like crap, who are happy and joyful and love their life. It is the basis from which everything else comes. You know, law of attraction is real. And I'm not, again, saying this like, ooh, woo woo, here's the, you know, the priestess lady saying law of attraction, quantum physics is now proving everything that all of these spiritual teachers have been saying for millennia. It is a real thing where we, what we think, what we believe determines what comes to us and how we feel and how our bodies work. And so that's where I start everyone. Also, because, I mean, this is a a human, you know, this is a human thing, not just a thing for people with invisible illness, but the human condition is feeling unworthy. When you get down to the bottom root of it, it's who am I to have a beautiful, loving, wonderful life, easy, flowing, abundant, like, I don't deserve that. If you can make that shift, if that's like the one thing you work on and you shift into, I deserve a happy life, I am worthy just because I'm here. Not because of anything I've done or said, just because I am a living, breathing human being, I am worthy. That in itself will shift everything because now suddenly you're worth taking care of. You're worth making those changes in yourself. If you're not worthy, why would you go gluten-free? Like you're just going to, you know, you're too busy taking care of the kids or your husband or whatever. Whereas if you yourself are worthy, you're going to have the motivation and the inspiration to take care of yourself in a way that reflects that worthiness. And then everything that comes to you is going to also reflect that worthiness. Yes, absolutely. Totally. It is that real shift. And, and you're right, that quantum physics, that law of attraction is that like is drawn to like there. It attracts it. So if you are thinking, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I, no one loves me, well, that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy then. Absolutely. And it's so insidious. It's so insidious. For the first 10, 12 years of my spiritual journey, honestly, when if I'm being completely honest and looking back on it, I was faking it till I made it. You know, like I was saying all of the things, but I, in my own head, was not kind to myself. 
You know, you can't spout off like all the spiritual like jargon and stuff and then look at yourself in the mirror and say, oh, God, your nose is too big or you're too fat or you're you're graying or no one's going to want to have sex with you or like any of the things that we say to ourselves when we look in the mirror. Right. In the last few years, when I actually really started to shift how I spoke to myself in my own head, that's when everything really started to shift for me. And that is really identifying with that inner child and saying, what was the love that I didn't get as a child? And how can I give that love to myself right now today? How can I truly just say to my inner child, I've got your back and I'm going to take care of you? Because that now suddenly you trust yourself. You trust yourself to always put yourself first. That also sends out a vibrational message of I am trustworthy, I am worthy of good things coming because and I can trust that good things are going to come to me because I trust that I'm always going to have my own back. If something comes that maybe isn't good for me, I'm going to say no to it. And so one of the first exercises I always have people do when they start working with me is a no list. Like, what are the people, situations, responsibilities that are not serving you? And cut them out. Like it might not be permanently, but at least for a little bit, cut it out and give yourself that space to one, do nothing. Like it's really lovely to just do nothing sometimes. And it's what we're, what we should be doing as human beings, but we're so go, 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 you know, 24 seven hustle, all this stuff. But also it gives you some space to now, now I have time to meditate. Ooh, now I have time to fix a healthy dinner instead of just like microwaving a pizza. Ooh, you know, now I have time to play with my child and enjoy my life because I'm not in, you know, going to that meeting anymore that I never really liked anyway. I was just going because I thought I had to and I was worried about what people would think if I didn't. Yeah, exactly. And I think that once those boundaries are set, begin to become set in place, it's so much easier to honor yourself. And we've all done it. I mean, we say yes to invites we don't want to go to. We join groups and then we don't know how to get out of them. And we've all done it because it's where our world is. But boy, and I think especially something about menopause, and I don't know if you've noticed that in your clients too, Emily, it gives us an extra courage. I don't know whether it's the shift in our hormones, but we go, I'm done with this shit, you know? Absolutely. No, I mean, that's, I just, it it comes back to the crone. Like the crone gives zero Fs, honestly. Like she does not care what other people think. She has earned the right not to give a crap what other people think. And so the sooner you can tap into that energy, the better. And really say, I mean, if you need to pick someone who you really admire, and be like, what would this person do? You know, for, for my crone, my kind of crone archetype is Helen Mirren. She just like, she just speaks her mind, does what she wants, is stunning. I and mean, it just, I love that woman. But I try and get my clients to the point where the person that you're thinking of, what would she do? She's you. She's the future you. She's like your highest version of you. What would that woman do? And that woman would, you know, cut out of the group or the meeting or whatever. I mean, every New Year's around this time, I do a massive unsubscribe. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I just, I get to the point where I'm like, oh my God, I wake up and there are 40 emails 
sitting waiting for me. And I'm like, no, even if they're good. I mean, and they're all like wonderful teachers and all of this stuff, but I'm like, nope, I don't need any more input. I'm ki- I'm in the integration stage. So I, I literally unsubscribe to everything. So now when I open up my inbox in the morning, it's like there are five, in- <laughs> there are five emails and I'm like, I can deal with that. I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. I, I do it and I clean it all out. And I actually pulled out today of a group. This guy has bugged me on and off. And I actually stopped going to the group. you got to believe this. I stopped going to that group 15 months and he's still sending me crap. Oh, my God. Yes. He just did. I mean, I literally said, I have no time to be in this group. It is a waste of my money and it's a waste of my time. It's not the people, but I said, I'm not paying you money to listen to where somebody went on holiday. That's not what I joined a mastermind for. And I, today I literally had to write that letter saying, please remove me from this group. It is not what I need in my life. I wish you the best of luck. And I just was like, he doesn't, if someone stopped coming to your group for 15 months or whatever, it's been like that. Wouldn't you get the goddamn message? But I had to be so direct. And I thought, well, I wouldn't have done that (laughs) pre-medicine. It's huge. I I mean, it's for me, I teach radical responsibility, okay? Radical responsibility of what is in your life. That means the TV shows you watch. That means the music you listen to. That means the social media accounts that you follow. Like if they are not serving you and uplifting you, they are actively hindering you. Okay. So I don't watch, you know, Game of Thrones. Sorry. I don't need to see like people like cutting each other up. No, I, it could it be like a wonderful show. Maybe probably, but like, I'm going to watch Shit's Creek instead or, or Ted Lasso, you know, like if I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch something that's like uplifting to me, my music. You know, I'm a huge fan of like 90s hip hop and stuff like that. And there are just some songs that I can't listen to anymore because the lyrics are just like codependent and misogynistic and like all these things. And I'm like, no, I'm not having that in my head. They call television programming for a reason. Okay. When you are watching TV, when you are watching stuff, videos on your social media, your brain goes into a brainwave state that is hypnotic in nature. It literally programs you. So it's the same thing with food. I always say, if your cells are made out of what you eat, do you want to be made out of Pizza Hut? Mm-mm. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. And, you know, it's true that what you take in is what you become. Yeah. And maybe not forever. As I've gotten stronger in my own practices and in my own beliefs, yeah, I can listen to stuff every once in a while and whatever, and it's fine and it doesn't take me down. But in the beginning, as you're getting your sea legs, you know, you, you need to be pretty stringent as to what you allow into your own space. Okay. Because I guarantee you, the people who are out there kind of achieving great things, they're not letting everything in. They are very, very controlling of what comes to them. I read a wonderful article that most Silicon Valley CEOs, like social media tech CEOs and founders and things like that, they don't allow their children to be on their phone. They don't have smartphones. Nope, they don't. They're very cautious about their phones. A lot of them meditate. They're very picky. They eat well. 
Like it's, it's very, that's a, there's a reason everyone wants to work for Google. They have medit, they have massage therapists on staff and napping pods and organic food. And, you know, like literally look at what the top achievers are doing. But also I don't want to go into that like achievement mode because I think that puts a lot of pressure on. The name of my coaching club is called the Canary Club. And I named it that because I think women with invisible illness and you know, any woman who really wants to really love and thrive in their life. Maybe we're born into more sensitive bodies, but we are the canaries in the coal mine saying that the way society is run typically is not healthy for anyone. Like maybe it's affecting us first, but even if it's not, you don't think it's affecting you physically, whatever, it's still affecting you. So to really get conscious and deliberate about what you allow in and what you put out is the fastest way to transform your life. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, Emily, how can people find out about your coaching club and the other work you do? You can just go to my website. It's my name, emilyshawls.com. I don't know if you have like a link or something you can put in. My last name is S-H-A-U-L-E-S. It's spelled kind of strangely. So (laughs) it's not the easiest website, but emilyshawls.com. Or if you are on Instagram and you are looking for a very positive, helpful, loving account to follow, you can go to shift.yourself. That is wonderful. Emily, It's such a pleasure having you here. There's so much positive energy. And I hope that the listeners have gained some sense that you can indeed shift yourself. And there are those beautiful steps of that truth, of being connected to the divine, of meditation, and underneath that, a very strong foundation of doing the things that are good for you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. It has been my pleasure too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening. And see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.